0: Um, I'll be doing the recap this morning uh, of two weeks ago, and then we'll get into today. Does anyone remember the question slash homework I posed to everyone two weeks ago? Nobody remembers that? Okay. Publicly or privately. <laughs> You've given me a lot of homework. Yeah, you were talking about watering. Water. There was watering, yep. That was discussed, yes. And there was a question at the very end where I said, you know, a few people uh, go and determine something and then come back with that topic, and that we would get into it. If anyone remembers, if not, I'll just pick a random one and we'll go with that. Well, in general, what like. Yes. Yep. It was to identify something you're lacking in your life, and then pick out if there's one or more, pick one, and then we would use that as an example for how to grow in that specific area. So did anybody do that, or think about that by chance? If not, we'll just pick one maybe that somebody has on their mind in the room today. But, OK. Yes, yes. yep, she did. Yeah, Jeray had an idea. But um, hopefully when we see her again that she can share that. So for today, like I said, I'll start with the recap Last, last time, two weeks ago, the first thing we went over was the purpose of growing spiritually and what growing spiritually means. And we d- discussed that growing spiritually means that having been born again and being spiritually a new creation, you have to renew your mind. Once your mind is renewed, then that results in an increase in your physical obedience leading to the goal, which is that you look more and more like Christ. That's the reason why we're alive is to look like Jesus. It starts with your spirit being submitted to God, your soul or your mind being renewed, and then your body being yielded to God, to his kingdom, uh, for obedience to the faith. That's the process that we all go through. In summary, that's the submission of your spirit, which comes through your repentance and belief in the gospel. There's a submission of your soul, which is about renewing your mind, learning the word, learning to obey it, and then the submission of the body, which is an increased obedience and ultimately in self-sacrifice. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this last Sunday, but the, according to Philippians 2, the prime example of a person yielded to God is Jesus, but specifically when he was crucified. Because the Bible says in Philippians 2, that he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the ultimate example of obedience is being so yielded to the will of God that even if it ends in a torturous martyrdom, that your faith stands. That Jesus demonstrated that as the greatest example of love for people, love for God, and the greatest example of obedience and yieldedness to the spirit. So if you look at that process, your beginning, the beginning for all of us is when you got born again, you were spiritually made alive. That's the starting point. That's when you cross the starting line of the race. The end of the race ultimately is that you would be so yielded to the spirit that you have this willingness to be yielded to the point of death. And that is what Jesus demonstrated in the kind of story arc of his life as well. So that's what spiritual growth is about. Submission of the spirit, then the soul, and then the body. Then we got into the parable of the sower. We talked about that Jesus compared spiritual growth to the the growth of a plant or a seed. And then we went went into points enumerating the process of that growth. It starts with cultivating good soil, which is repentance, patience, and persistence we talked about being planted by rivers. That's about good fellowship with like-minded believers. Sowing good seed is about renewing your mind or essentially studying the word. Watering that seed is about obedience to the word, about serving others, continuing and teaching, being corrected, and ultimately adding obedience to what you learn as you grow in your understanding. Then there is the, what happens when you actually bring forth fruit, and that's qualities that begin to naturally show, and we looked at scriptures that discuss that, and then we finished with maturing that fruit. Jesus said that we have to bring fruit to maturity. Bringing fruit to maturity would be, uh, the way that I described it last time, was perfecting obedience. So That means being obedient in something is how it starts, but then refining that obedience so that you're even more greatly obedient. And that's what maturing that fruit is. And then what I finished with was an introduction to what we were going to talk about today, which is identifying areas that you you need to grow in specifically and then how you grow in those specific things. And one of the reasons why I said we're going to go over this is because a lot of believers have a general understanding of how you grow generally. And most of the time we'll say, okay, well, you should be around other like amount of believers. You should be in the word and you should pray. And we usually put spiritual growth into kind of that one general category. And we'll also talk about things like it's, hey, it's important to repent. It's important to turn away from sin. All those things are essential. However, taking it to the next level is about being able to have the understanding in your own life and of your own self to know, here is where I am lacking most. And here's what I need to do to grow in that area specifically. And that's the maturing the fruit. That's the refining obedience. And that's what we're going to get into today. And... We'll talk about some what you might call study skills, which is basically an understanding you need to have of how the Bible works to be able to know how to read the Bible in a way that will cause growth in those specific areas. And then we're just going to get into some scriptures that talk about foundational areas that we have to grow in um, in order to grow in all other areas. So first things first, let's go to John chapter 15. Before we read it, any questions or comments about last time or about that recap that might be helpful to anyone? Questions? Okay. Yes.
1: On your recap there, you talked about growth in our soul and spirit. Last time you talked about our spirit was perfect and doesn't need to grow.
0: Yes, so the main point from last week was that the Bible says that your your spirit is perfect and that it is not in any need of redemption, that that, that has happened when you were joined with the Holy Spirit when you got born again. Um, one thing that we did get into a little bit last time was that there are, you can, your spirit can still feel certain things. Like, for example, the Bible says the Holy Spirit can be grieved, so the Holy Spirit's perfect, Right. Being perfect doesn't mean you never have grief. Holy Spirit has grief. So that you can still feel, uh, but the Spirit, as far as its character, its potential, its characteristics, it is, it is perfect. The Bible says it is made according to the righteousness and true holiness of God himself. Ephesians 4.24 says that. So if it's made like God, that's what makes it perfect. Um, so that was what that was about. In that sense, your spirit doesn't need growth. Your soul is where the renewing Renewing takes place, and that's a choice that we have to make. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But we can also grow into the spirit. You know, we, we grow in being aware of it, in responding to
2: it, right. and utilizing it
0: yeah. for good. That's like the, the consciousness. You're setting your mind on things of the spirit. Right, yeah, that causes you to grow grow into it. Yeah.
1: I think you said it's more aligning the body. So
0: Right. It's, yeah, the idea is that your, your, your mind and your body are in complete agreement with the Spirit uh, so that there's nothing resisting the Spirit anymore. And Jesus was a perfect example of that. He lived in a body just like ours with a mind just like ours, but he was 100% submitted to the Spirit without any resistance in his thoughts or his lifestyle. And that's the goal for us. Ultimately, that's what we're, what we're trying to attain to.
1: And we can resist the Spirit.
0: And we can. We can make a choice to resist the Spirit. Yep. Doesn't end well, ever. But we have the free will to do that if we so choose. All right, so John chapter 15. We'll just start in verse 1. Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The Greek actually means he lifts it up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I'll just pause there for a moment that that does not bear fruit. He takes away. It can mean one of two things. Takes away, meaning actually cut it off and remove it. Or it can mean like a branch that's drooping and it's lifted up. That's another way of looking at it. So in other words, if there's a branch that's not bearing fruit, if something can be done to help it, he will do that. But if nothing can be done, he cuts it off. That's what that's trying to say. Verse 3. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So I'm just going to start this with a question out of that. Those two paragraphs we just read. So he said in his word that the father is glorified when we bear much fruit. Amen. Amen. Then he said, if my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. So if the words he just said abide in us, what would we ask for? To bear much fruit. fruit. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) So point being, just to start. One of the things that Jesus says is a sign of bearing fruit is that you pray and ask and it, it's done. That's, that's also bearing fruit, right? But that infers that we ought to ask for what he states in his word we should desire or what would glorify the Father, which in this case is to bear much fruit. So if you ask God to help you to bear much fruit, knowing that that's God's will, he will help you bear much fruit. Your joy will be full. The father will be glorified and you will be his disciples. So step one, when it comes to spiritual growth, make sure you're asking God the right questions. And this can apply to your prayer. It can apply to your study. We should be approaching the word with an attitude that whatever his desire is for us is what should be our desire. So, whatever God would want for you, cultivate your desire for that. Pray for those things. That's, that's step one. That it should shift your paradigm in that sense. Ask the right questions. So second would, thing. Wouldn't those yes.
1: fruits be the fruits
0: of the spirit, not joy
1: peace?
0: Yes. Yep. yep. Yep, fruit of the spirit. We also went over one other thing last time for those of you who remember. What the first form of fruit was the fruits of the spirit, which is the character of God in your life. What was the second thing? Does anyone remember? people. Yep. Disciples made. Your life and its influence winning people to the gospel is the second kind of fruit. Paul said in Romans 1 that having fruit among a group of people means having disciples that you've made. Those are two kinds of fruits. You bearing fruit means having the character of Christ and then also the proficiency of multiplication that Christ had, which is that more people are added to the faith because of your influence. Those are the two things. Okay. So Second thing we're getting into here, after the first, Jesus describes that bearing fruit is about abiding in him, as we're the branches and he is the vine. So abiding in him is a really important topic, and that's one of the most important questions that we can ask, which is, how do we abide in Christ? Now, who would like to throw out an answer? What do you guys think that means, to abide in Christ? What does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, keep going. Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah. Use the mic, mic. Yeah, use the mic, Jacob. If you're gonna speak, <laughs> no, I'll just repeat what he said. He said, "Read the word. Uh, keep your mind set on Christ. Uh, you want to be one mind with Him." And he was just kind of keeping uh, going on that. Any more comments? Prayer. Yep. Prayer, yeah. What else? Keep His commandments. Yep. Yeah. Meditation's part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So if we read in 9, let's jump into verse 9 here. He says, as, my, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. So now he is not only saying abide in me, now he's saying abide in my love. All right, we're going to talk about love in a moment here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, before you can keep, or in other words, do God's word, What do you have to do first? Got to know it. Okay. So the whole idea about prayer, reading the word and all that, that's step one to abiding in Christ because you're not going to do his commandments if you don't know them. Right. So simply put, being in the word and obeying it is what it means to abide in Christ. If there is no increase of your knowledge and increase of obedience to that knowledge, you're not going to bear fruit. And this is a conscious step that we have to take. Now, this obedience increases in its effectiveness. It's refined. That's the bringing fruit to maturity. That happens on its own. But it's part of our job to be in the word and take steps to increase our obedience to it. All of us have something that we do have the ability to obey. Now, there might be certain things that you're struggling to obey. And... In those moments, what keeps you from being discouraged is really a point of understanding, which is that things that we are unable to do, in many cases, have to do with a lack of knowledge or a confusion or misunderstanding of the word, which inhibits that obedience. So do do you have a question? Go for it. Yeah.
2: First John 3 verse 24 says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Mm-hmm. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Keeping keeping the commandments. That's a good cross-reference. What was the reference to that again? 1 John, John 3, 24. Okay, so to this, this point I was making earlier, struggling to obey in an area, it could be a result of misunderstanding, confusion, or just simply a lack of knowledge. Scripture for this would be where Jesus in the parable of the sower, which we got into last week, he said, people who don't bear fruit, he said, one of the causes is seeds sown by the wayside. And in Matthew 13, he said, that's a person who lacks understanding. The reason why the seed is sown, it's immediately plucked away is because they don't have understanding. Right? So a person is not going to be able to bear fruit, which is about obedience, if they don't understand. So understanding is really important. If you don't understand what the word is trying to say, it's going to make it very difficult for you to be obedient to it because there's going to be confusion there. Um, Another example would be in Romans 12, where it says that what we're beseeched to do is to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is that is our reasonable service, our service to God, our obedience to God is about you yielding your body. That's obedience, right? It says, in order to do that, in order to be transformed into that, you have to renew your mind. Because your body will do what your mind tells it to do. Right? It's how your mind works. Your mind is the engine for your actions, essentially. If the engine is in a really bad state, so are your actions going to be bad. You have to renew your mind in order to have that physical transformation take place where you can walk in that obedience. So practical action step for all of us is abiding in Christ means taking what you know, what you do understand, being obedient to it. Whatever you can be obedient to, what you know you can be obedient to, do that. That's part of abiding. If you're struggling to obey in an area and there's like additional or exceptional resistance to it and there's, it's really difficult in many cases, it's simply a matter of your mind isn't renewed yet or your understanding isn't clear enough yet to the point where you can obe- obey that more easily. So your obedience for something that's hard for you to obey would start with renewing your mind more in that area, right? Which is why we're going to get into growing in specific things today because that will that will help with this. So in summary, if you want to abide in Christ, know the word obey the word, whatever you aren't obeying or find hard to obey, renew your mind in more. And that's where you start. And that would be obedience. Okay. Then we're going to get into the process of what Christ does for us or what the father does for us, because he's the vine dresser when we're bearing fruit. So every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, who's the branches? Us, people. If a branch does not bear fruit, it is either lifted up, which is like when you put a brace on a tree that's too small to stand on its own, for example. He can support a branch and that might help it. If it doesn't bear fruit after that, it's cut off, which is why the Bible says that you will know people by their fruits. Distinguishing between a believer and unbeliever is about the fruit that they bear, right? So that's number one, you watch for fruit. That's how we know and how we identify people. And if you are bearing fruit, Yes. Somebody want to get a microphone to Dolores? Right here. Yeah.
1: Just a comment and some studies that I've been doing about this very parable, mm-hmm. uh, or what Jesus is talking about being a, a a branch on the vine, and the one that's not bearing fruit that He cuts off or He lifts up. Mm-hmm. What it is with with the people that grow right. Vines or whatever <laughs> vineyards, <laughs> they have to put a rock under it to lift it up. Otherwise, it will start rooting. But those and so their those roots are self-sustaining. But that's not we don't want to be rooted in our own self. We have to stay rooted in the vine. So they lift they lift it up and they cut those off so they can't do some independent thing. Mm-hmm. So just something
0: to... Great observation. Yeah. yeah. Try to make your own roots instead of staying rooted in Christ. Yeah. Love that. Really good. Otherwise, the so the branches get close to the ground and they turn into roots. I did not know that about grapevines. That's really cool. Okay. So then you've got, if you are bearing fruit, you get pruned. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit yes uh when me and Fernando used
2: to do landscaping in the uh, summer
0: when you have a tree or not a tree sorry when you have like a hydrangea mm-hmm. you would prune it because what that does is it
2: promotes growth so that's what it's saying right there
0: yeah yeah, pruning promotes growth now whenever you prune we <laughs> we actually did this one time to an apple tree uh in my parents yard, we ended up having to cut the whole tree down because it, it died because we, we pruned it too much. Um, you cut it back too far. It actually killed the tree. Um, but whenever you prune something, assuming you don't prune it back too far, it doesn't look very pretty at first. And that is usually the way it is. When you get pruned, this basically means you have a branch that's doing great. You feel really good about it, and then you get cut back. It doesn't feel very good. And that looks a little strange at first, and then it starts to bear more fruit, and it actually ends up being more effective. Practically, an example of this would be like when you're making progress in an area spiritually, you're growing, you feel good about it. Then a correction comes, or a refining, or something that tells you, oh, I have to actually fix this now, too. That actually kind of makes you feel a little bit less confident, because you're like, oh, man, I have to, I, I should make... Progress in this area now, too. And that's that pruning. It's essentially you're taking an obedience, something you're doing well in, and it cuts it back. In other words, it brings you to a point where you realize, oh, I can still be corrected in this area. You're receiving correction. And correction, the Bible says, never feels good in the moment. It says it's painful. Hebrews twelve eleven says correction always starts by being painful. And that's the point. So refining or perfecting obedience, maturing fruit and bearing more fruit, pruning in other words, is about receiving correction for something you're doing well in to make your obedience even greater. That's the point. And it has to be painful. That's part of the process. Yes? Uh, Quick
2: question. So, yeah. So, um, like, a seasoned or, like, veteran believer, somebody who's been in the Word for a long time, versus, like, a, a new believer... Um, that correction could come like to like a seasoned believer, for example, I'm just gonna use that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might understand it's a correction, they might think it's a good thing and they'll learn from it, but like a newer believer might think it's God punishing them or they might be upset about it and it might actually like potentially make things worse for them. Because I have known people who've been really upset that something happens and I try to give them a perspective of like God does things for a reason. It's not just like a random catastrophe, you know. Mm-hmm. So what can people do to give them a better like wisdom or insight to determine that that's not a bad thing it's meant for correction you know like is there like certain scripture or just time in the word in general
0: there are a few scriptures yes great question did, did you want to start answering that under uh
2: well i guess to, to my knowledge what i've kind of learned something like that is like when you're correcting somebody or for say like rebuking an, an action just make sure that whenever you do it you're Rebuking the action, not the person, ultimately always coming out of love. Like, you can't just attack the person for them doing that sort of thing, but just give give them a general understanding of why it's wrong. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a good piece of practical advice there. Yeah. Rebuke the action, not the person. If you speak against people, you make enemies, but if you speak against actions, detached from the person, that's what keeps those relationships or helps. Uh, To support those relationships. That's good practical advice there. Good scripture for this is Hebrews 12, essentially. So if you read Hebrews 12, most of the chapter is about receiving correction from the Lord. Um, Verse 11, which I mentioned earlier, is where it says, no chastening, which means discipline or correction, seems to be joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it, right? Correction produces fruit, That's the pruning. When you're doing well, that probably means you're going to be corrected soon. (laughs) When you're doing not so great, yes, there's going to be correction also, but it's especially when you're doing well that you need correction. Otherwise, you just get puffed up, or you get stagnant, or you get complacent, so on and so forth. So Hebrews 12. Jesus, the the only time we we have scripture referencing Jesus being corrected the language that Hebrews uses is that he learned obedience um, is his temptation in the wilderness. So in Matthew four and Luke four, basically he spent those 40 days being intensely tempted by the devil. And that was how he learned obedience. Um, And it says he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So that means sometimes the spirit will lead you into places where he knows you're going to be tempted by the devil. And part of that is Helping you learn obedience. Yeah.
2: I I personally think that there's like three major ways that God corrects people. Uh, sure. That I've experienced one through. Look <laughs> at <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Did I'll we did it.
0: we take that picture? That's what I'm saying. that?
2: Uh, <laughs> I'll hold it really close. <laughs> All right. Three major ways. Is one. Uh, Reading the Word and getting convicted. I was like, oh, crud, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. If you're doing something that's not in alignment with the Word. Two, uh, the Spirit corrects you. You have Mm -hmm. a conviction from the Spirit because you've read the Word. And three, people that have the Spirit because there's judgment inside the church.
0: Yep. Yep. Is there any more? No, those are the three main ones, and there's Scripture for all three of those. Uh, The first about the Word, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God's profitable for doctrine is what it says first. Then it talks about instruction, reproof, and correction. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that you may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that the word is profitable for correction. About people, Paul speaks to Titus and Timothy and both of them. I'm not going to give you exact references simply because you just kind of have to read through Titus and 2 Timothy especially to find them. Because there's a few different examples. He tells people, commands them, correct or convince, rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Uh, People are commanded to correct one another. Uh, You also have uh, in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching, and then it says admonishing one another. To admonish is a form of correction, and he tells people to do that for each other. Yes.
2: Uh, would you say that it's important to understand, like, how to correct somebody with the, like, in the aspect of if some, if you try, if you correct somebody and they're still, like, for say it's a sin issue and they're still abiding in sin and they're like a fellow believer. What would that look like if they still continue to. Um, if they continue some, in it after I know, being I know corrected? Specific scripture, I just wanted to touch on that real quick.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to get into the detail right now, but. Okay. Yeah, but a good question. Uh, Matthew 18 talks about it. There's a process. Long story short, if you correct somebody, Bible says first thing that's supposed to happen is you do it one on one. One brother confronts another. Uh, and if they don't. Repent after that. It says, then bring a couple more people. And then after that, it says, bring them before the whole church. In other words, get their whole community involved. And in agreement, this is the key, standing together in the desire and intention to restore this person and move them to repentance. If you do it in disagreement, that's a bad thing. Do it in unity. And then Matthew 18 says, uh, two or three are gathered together, unanimity in my name, I am there in the midst of them. In other words, Christ is present to help that person when churches are in agreement to restore or move somebody to repentance. So there's that, that process that would be short answer. Yeah. Can I assume that
3: that's uh, correction is done by using
0: the word Using yes, absolutely. Only only use what you can point to in the word. Correction is never to come from your feelings or your emotions or impulses. It's supposed to come from scripture. You can maybe have a discernment that initiates the thought but what you say is supposed to come from the word. Um, that's why I believe it's in uh, 2 Timothy. He says, "Convince, rebuke, exhort, in, in, long suffering, and teaching." Long suffering is patience. So do it patiently when you correct somebody, and do it with teaching. That's the Greek word for doctrine. Otherwise, you you need to know the word to be able to correct somebody. Uh, And then there's a couple other scriptures. I'll give you guys one more scripture about this, and then we're going to move on. Um, I was actually, I just finished a couple days ago a long study about correction. Um, And so it's important to know these things. Let's pull it up real fast. So about knowing the word. It is 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, and then Titus 1, verse 9. Titus 1, verse 9, and I'll just read it to you guys quick. It says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convict those who contradict. So it is through or by the faithful word, being taught the faithful word, knowing sound doctrine. That's how you're able to correct. So you have to do it by the word. Um, that's just under the reference for that. And then you've got 2 Timothy 4.2, which is the previous one um, that I quoted there for you guys. Okay. So, got to keep moving forward here. So, summarize so far. Pruning is about what? Yes. It, promoting growth, yes. But pruning is what? Correction. One word. Yeah. When you're corrected, it's usually because you're doing well that you're corrected. When you bear fruit, you're pruned to bear more fruit. So a correction is not a sign that you're doing bad. Correction is a sign you're doing good. God wants you to bear more fruit, and that's why you're pruned, and that's why we should receive it with gratitude when correction comes. Okay. Now, moving forward. Abide in me is verse 4. As I and you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we talked about abiding in Christ is about knowing the word and being obedient to it, renewing your mind. Now what we're going to touch on is he talks about abiding in his love, which is a part of abiding in him. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, I'm going to give you guys a couple scriptures that focus on on this. Jesus refers to himself as the vine, or abiding in that vine, as synonymous with abiding in his love. Now, what this means first is that abiding in Christ depends first on knowing his love and growing in his love. Scriptures that get into this, the first would be in John chapter 13, in verses 33 and 34. If you... Read John 13, verses 33 and 34. Jesus gives us one commandment. Who can tell me what it is? You can pull it up, or you can read it if you know it in your heart. Love one another. another. Yep. Love one another as... As I have loved you. As yourself, yes. Different scripture, but yes. (laughs) Love one another as I have loved you. That is the one thing that Jesus said, and he even said this is a new commandment. Now, this is interesting because First John says that it's actually not a new commandment. He said it's, it's one that we've had from the beginning, but it's new in the sense that it's renewed and that it's, met, it's being presented as now the focus and summary of all other commandments. And that's why Romans 13 says, all the law is fulfilled in one word, which is that you love one another right so love has become the renewed focus of your obedience to the faith if you are perfected in love you are perfected in righteousness period if we could love as deeply and as obediently as Christ loved we would be like Jesus that it it all is summarized in love right do
3: you have a
0: comment? I you finish it up, that it, excuse me, God, Jesus, personifies love and then he dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I got a frog in my throat. <laughs> is the mic on? Yeah, the uh, oh, do you turn it off? Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um
3: That Jesus is the personification of love and that he dies for our sins. Yes. And so that's our reference point.
0: I guess. Yep. That's the demonstration, the model, the example. Uh, fill in the blank or finish the verse. Greater love has no one than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. Yep, That's the greatest, greatest demonstration of love, to lay down your life. So self-sacrifice is love in expression. Preferring someone else in sacrifice of what you want for the sake of love. That's, what, that's, that's how love is shown. So if Jesus as the vine abiding in him is the same as abiding in his love, then without love, we grow in nothing. Nothing, okay? And it is, in fact, love is stated as being so powerful, in fact, that, and I've I used this verse a lot the past few weeks, John, or 1 John, excuse me, 2 verse 10 says, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So it says, it's so simple. It says, if we would just love each other, we would have no cause to sin at all. The only reason we sin is because we lack in love. Period. That's why if you read like the fruit of the spirit, you know, Galatians 5.22, what is the first on the list of the fruit of the spirit? Love. Love. And why is it that it's called the fruit and not the fruits of the spirit? Because love is, it's a singular fruit. It's love. And love is joy, peace, patience, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. That's why you have 1 Corinthians 13 that says love is patient, kind, or suffers long and is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, doesn't to itself, it's not puffed up. Go down the list. So, All other expressions of virtue, righteousness, excellence, so on and so forth, ultimately are branches out of love, just as you are branches out of Christ. So this means the one fruit that encompasses all other growth in your life, and the one fruit that has to remain your focus throughout the entirety of your life and its growth is love. It has to be love first, always. If love is removed from the center, you're off. It's that simple. So it has to be love first. And if you're growing in love, you're going to grow in the other things. Now, there are certain steps that you can take to grow in other expressions of the fruit of the Spirit, such as the patience and kindness and gentleness and so on and so forth. But the point is that it all it's, it's all founded in love. Now, in addition to that... To reference back to 1 Corinthians 13 in verse uh, thir- it's not thir- 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 we will turn there 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 this is after Paul gets done talking about all the different qualities of love He mentions that love is patient. He mentions that love bears, believes, hopes, and endures. So that's another expression of patience. Believing you have an example of faith. So there's faith in love. There's patience in love. Verse 13, he says, now abide. In other words, these three things exist. They're the focus of all of it. Now abide, faith, hope, love. These three but the greatest, the chiefest of these is love. There's another example. We wanna, you don't have to turn to it, but just for your own notes, you can write it down. First Thessalonians 1 verse 3. First Thessalonians 1 verse 3. It reads very similar to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And it says, labor of love, patience of hope, or excuse me, Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Hope. So you have 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, faith, hope, and love. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 says, work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Let's leave that verse up on the screen for a while. In other words, faith is shown by what? Work, exactly. James chapter 2 says, I will show you my faith by my works. Work of faith. And love shows itself, according to this verse, Verse in what? What does it say? Labor. labor. That Greek word for labor actually means the, the anguish or suffering of being worked so hard that it hurts. Like childbirth. Like childbirth. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what that word labor means. It doesn't mean like the labor that you do to make money. This labor means when you care about somebody so much that you're being willing you're willing to be worked to the point of absolute exhaustion because of how much you love them that's what that labor is okay that's how love shows itself and then it says hope shows itself in what patience patience of hope hope has patience that greek, greek word for hope means the expectation it's the expecting that God is going to do something and it also an additional definition of it is a confident expectation so in other words when you confidently expect something and you know it will happen in God's timing and you trust his time you're going to be willing to be patient for it so you've got faith shows itself in work love shows itself in labor and hope shows itself in patience patience and hope are very similar they share very uh, two definitions that are very similar they're almost the same thing if you look at them in Greek So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, now abide faith, hope, and love. We just read 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 also mentions faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, or faith, patience, and love, because hope and patience are nearly the same, are kind of like the big three of the fruit of the Spirit. Kind of like you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Bible says, all is going to come back to the Father. Even Jesus will be submitted to the Father. The Father is greater than I, Jesus said, The father's like the one, but the three are, they're three in one. Love is the same way in that the greatest of these is love, but love, what's immediately attached to it is patience slash hope and then faith. So that essentially kind of tells us that the three things that are going to have to be points of primary growth in our lives are going to be love, patience with hope, and faith. And if we grew in those three things, you'll actually come to learn that the other fruits of the Spirit have some kind of connection or rootedness to those big three. But the focus always has got to be love from the beginning. If you love a person, you'll be patient in working for serving them. There's patience in love. That's why the Bible says love suffers long and is kind. And if you love somebody... You will believe God for them no matter how long it takes because of your love for them. That's why faith is in love. So everything you can imagine all comes back to love um, with these secondary focuses of of faith and patience. Do you have a comment? I just
3: had a thought about that. Um, So we have a son that has autism, and I believe 100% that he is a gift from God created as God meant him to be. But I require daily constant patience with him, but I'm, I have faith that God designed him. So I feel like faith and patience are a little bit different. And my, my interpretation actually says steadfast, steadfastness mm-hmm. versus patience. Mm-hmm. And so I was just throwing that out there because I do feel like faith and patience are different. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: they have differences. Yeah. Yeah. So. They have differences. They share a lot of similarities, and they actually depend on each other. Uh, it's You can't really have faith if you're not patient. We've gone over this a few weeks ago. It's, it's really impossible to believe if you're not patient, and it's impossible to be patient if you don't believe. No.
3: Well, <clears throat> the one thing that, you know, I
0: think it's really miraculous that I saw in my lifetime is the overturning of Roe v. Wade because are uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's
3: okay. Just keep going. Well, I guess the one... Thing that has really uh, astounded me is the overturning of Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. because you know, I always prayed and but I never ever thought that I would see it in my lifetime that it would be overthrown. I just pretty much had given up all hope
0: mm-hmm.
3: that it would be. But it's thing you know patience and never giving up.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Never giving up. Yep. So,
0: yep. Bible says also to be patient or steadfast in prayer.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, prayer. yes.
0: Prayer is if you can't do anything else, you can pray. Right, being right. patient in that is important. That's what I've learned. Yeah,
3: pretty recently yeah. either, because you know people are frustrated. You know, the path of the country, and sure. well, we can vote and campaign for our candidates mm-hmm. that are pro-life, and and uh, and then other than that, pray. We can pray. Be in prayer. Yep. Yes, amen. So I guess I've just learned to let go of some of the frustration and anger, and and uh, <clears throat> the trajectory of our Country and particularly this state, so I just sort of let go of that anger and frustration and right now I can do is pray
0: yep, channel pray. it in the prayer. Yeah we stay yeah. thankful
3: okay and, yeah. yeah and also vote
0: <laughs> I sure. cannot, yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: stress the importance of voting. I grew up in a family that uh, you know well they were Democrats, but Democrat Party was a lot different back then, mm-hmm. but my parents always stressed, you go out and vote and I think I only missed one election in my lifetime that's at the local level, sure. Sure. Yeah.
0: But we got to move on. Yeah. Thank you for those comments. Yeah. OK, so we've got those big three. You've got love. The focus always has to be love. Uh, to just go back to 1 John 2.10, if we love, there's no cause for stumbling. So it all has to come back to love. Now, moving forward, what I'd like to do, this gets into the specifics that I said we get into last time, that, that we get into last time. If anything, We can discuss steps that are taken in order to grow in love, because that's kind of the greatest of them all, and that's going to help in pretty much every other area, so we will at least get into that. But just in case anyone has thought of something during this teaching we are like, oh, there's lacking this in my life, or I'd like to grow in this area, and if you would like to get into that, is there anyone in the room who has an idea of, in their own life, what they want to grow in? Yeah.
2: I have a a question about... um, So let's say you're growing in love and wood, it's not going to come instantly, obviously. So it's steps to take. And so when something is very inconvenient and you do it because like, okay, I got to grow in love here, but, and then you like force a good attitude on the outside, but inside you're kind of just still like grumbling and stuff. Is that profiting you for anything or should like, I don't know, what's the steps to take if that's a clear enough question.
0: Okay, so is the question, is it still profitable if you have a bad attitude when you're doing something good, even though you're still doing it?
2: Like, will
0: that still grow? grow? Will will it still make you grow? Or
2: how can you have that good
0: attitude? Well, the the bad attitude comes from the flesh, right? And you have to do what's uncomfortable to the flesh at some point in order to submit the flesh to the spirit, because the flesh is going to be a crybaby, right? So... It would just simply be a matter of understanding what can be done to help quell that bad attitude while you're growing, but it's better to take action. Yeah, always. Um, so, yeah, we can start. Comment? Mike? Yeah.
3: Mike? <laughs> oh, I see. Well, what, one of the things I've learned too is, is that um, the question was posed at one time in a Sunday school class. If you obey God, but you really don't want to, are you doing what's right? Is that is your spirit right? And I say yes, because you are submitting yourself to God, and I found that even though I didn't want to submit do it, in the long run down the road, I realized it was the right thing to do. Yeah. So so obeying God even when you don't want to, I think pleases God.
0: Of course, yeah. Yes. Because in that case you're 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 submitting the flesh to what the spirit wants, which shows that you want in deep deep down, you want what the spirit wants more than what the flesh wants. Right. So that submission is important. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Earl, over here.
3: Just to comment off what she said, I think, uh, I mean, when Jonah uh, didn't want to go to Niva, he went anyway, and then he, he grumbled about it. And so I think that's valid, you know, that he obeyed God, mm-hmm. even though he didn't want to.
0: Yep. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. look what it accomplished in Nineveh. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, David, you were asking uh, for us to identify something we want to grow in. Yeah. I know for me, just being consistent in prayer, Mm -hmm. not that I don't pray but the consistency and some of the things that's been coming up to me as I was thinking about what do I want to do for this new year? And last year I spent quite a bit of time studying about prayer, but I I think it's somewhere in my mind. I still have to get over this thought that it's because I don't see it happening right now that it's not, that nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think if I have to, it's kind of like, I, I realize I have to get fully persuaded <laughs> that my prayers are doing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. that's the
0: area that... Sure. You, you kind of partly answered your own question. Um, <laughs> at the end, they're talking about, you started to anyway, with the idea that wanting to be consistent, more consistent in prayer. And then you mentioned... N- believing, wanting to believe that your prayer is working. Well, if you believe your prayer is working, you, you, we'd pray more, you know, so that at least tells you that, Hey, faith growing in faith will make you pray more, you know? Um, so what we'll do for now, then I'll just get into practical steps a person can take to grow in a area and then we'll use love as one example. And then we'll have to finish up and then we're going to do uh, prayer and then some music after that, just to kind of finish things out. Um, because it is is twelve o'clock. We usually get done by twelve thirty. So I'll let's I'll get into briefly the, the study skills topic that I mentioned earlier. If you want to grow in something, we just I mentioned this earlier. What is the first thing that has to be done to grow in something, in anything? Yeah, study the word. Yep. I was gonna say renew your mind. Exactly. Yep, renew your mind. So if you want to grow in an area, it starts with renewing your mind in that area. And that's why your study is important. Sure. Yeah. Know that, hey, I want to grow in this. I need to grow in this. Then address that. Now, growing in that, how you go about renewing your mind in that area is important because what we want to avoid, this is still good, but if you want to get specific, if you want to grow in something, but then you just generally read the Bible just because that's what you believe your obligation is to do, but you're not reading about that that thing you want to grow or or taking steps of obedience in that thing, then you're not going to see as much growth in that specific area as you'd like to. And so step one would be, if you've identified that thing, whatever it is, it's finding scriptures that address that thing and then obeying those scriptures that address that thing. And that's how you'd grow. And that's how you corrected. That would be how you renew your mind. So let's take uh, love, for example. Now, the first thing you'd have to do if you want to study, well, actually, I'll put it this way. Let's say the the deficit or the lack in your life is showing itself in impatience. Let's use impatience as an example. If a person is loving, the Bible says they will suffer long and be kind. First Corinthians 13 says that. We also know that you can read verses that talk about patience and how it shows itself and how a person can grow in that patience. So that means step one would be knowing, okay, what's the sin? What's the error? And what would be the antithesis of that error? So if I'm lacking in this, or if the sin is this, if I were not in that sin, what, what would I name it? So the opposite of impatience would be patience, right? So if you're impatient, you would want to study patience. You don't want to study impatience right? (laughs) You want to study patience, right? So now if it's a lack of love, you want to study love, okay? So you want to study the good of what you're lacking, not the bad, right? (laughs) So that would mean to start scriptures about, well, we'll just use patience as an example, scriptures about patience. There's three things you can do. The first is get yourself some kind of concordance, ideally a Greek and Hebrew concordance. And you can type in, in the search bar, patience. And you'll you'll find everywhere where that English word appears. Then you look at, like, let's say it's in the New Testament, you look at the Greek word, and the Greek word will show you how that same word is used in different English words throughout the Bible. So you want to find places where that matter of patience is addressed directly in Scripture. That's, that would be an, an immediate, it's a quicker thing you can do. You can find Scriptures that specifically talk about that thing that you're thinking about. The second thing you can do is simply use like a new version, your, your standard Bible app. You can just look up, you know, patience and it'll give you Scriptures that might not have the word patience in it, but they'll be established cross-references for that topic. That's the second thing. Look up scriptures that are similar and then look up scriptures that have that exact word in it. With the exact word, you're going to want to find words that are similar because they have different English words. So like patience, for example, in the New Testament shows up as perseverance, steadfastness, long suffering, endurance. Those are all synonyms of patience. So you're going to want to find, think of synonyms for what you're studying in the Bible and look at those verses, too. Otherwise, you'll miss a lot. Okay? So those are the first two things. The third thing, this one takes a little bit more work, but personally, I think this is the most fun, makes it the, a greater challenge, is start, let's say it's patience, in the beginning of the Bible, and go all the way to the end. And you don't necessarily have to read word for word, but you skim through and find stories or places where you're seeing examples of people showing patience and it doesn't have to say the word patience in it you might read genesis let's say the topic is patience and you see noah is commanded to build an ark and you notice oh it took noah a hundred years to build that thing do you think that took some patience yeah so that would be noah showed patience there right that's just one example. And you just, you just read through, read through scripture and find spots where a person is exercising what you want to grow in. So you take those Old Testament stories or the New Testament, then you take the New Testament instructions, you combine them together and say, how can I act on what I've just studied and what I've just identified? How can I obey this? One of the best things you can do is think about, how is my life similar to the person in the Bible I'm reading about who's showing patience? If there are similarities, you can almost directly do what they did. If it's a New Testament instruction, it's something you can immediately obey. It's usually really simple. And one example, let's change the gears. Let's say it's love. The Bible says the greatest demonstration of love is to lay down your life, self-sacrifice. And practically, that's stated in Romans as like preferring one another, for example. So an action step I can take, having renewed my mind in that, to grow in love would be to do something sacrificial. And sacrifice, and Jacob mentioned this, is always inconvenient every single time. There's never a time where you're sacrificing something where it's convenient. It's always inconvenient. So if you want to grow in love, that means do something sacrificial, which means when you don't want to do something for someone do just that. And if you do that, pray for God to help you in that area and study that thing that you're doing. That would be how you're, you would grow in a specific area. So if you really put it in summary, it's study, renew your mind and what you want to grow in, ask God for help growing in that, and then take actions to exercise it when it's uncomfortable. And that would be how you grow in something specific. And to return to what we stir- uh, were into earlier, the focus ultimately at the end of the day has to be on love. So practically speaking, that simply means if you're growing in or want to grow or are growing in one thing, make sure you're still having your mindset on love. Ultimately, the motive behind this needs to be love. Chiefly, above all things, it's love while you're growing, growing in these other things.